Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tor.com. Joining me today is writer Law Eve, whose latest book is The Graces, a story about friendship between young women, magic, witchcraft, power, and everything a young girl would do, could do to belong. Law's earlier novels are The Fearsome Dreamer and The Illusionists. Welcome to Midnight in Karachi. Oh, thank you for having me. Let's start with The Graces, which everyone, including me, is comparing to that fantastic 90s film some of us grew up with called The Craft. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's, of course, a completely valid comparison, of course, but was it was the film something that influenced you when writing The Graces? Um, I mean, yes. I'm just going to be bold and say that. I, to be honest, I've said it quite a lot anyway. Um, it was kind of my uh, starting point, if you like, for inspiration, so... It was where I is where I sort of began the novel. I love the craft, you know. It's it's a really great film, um, not without its flaws, obviously, but it's it's one of those, like you say, that it seems to be a real touchstone for uh, ladies of a certain age, shall we say, who grew up on with that movie. And it wasn't like it was a big blockbuster and took over the world, but it just seemed to say something very pointed and specific to teenage girls, which I found really fascinating. Um, so that was that was really where where it came from. But it was also, you know, a, quite a lot of other things like, let's say, oh, I studied The Crucible in school. Um, the Crucible was very important to me. It was a really interesting play. Um, specifically, though, less about the kind of whether there's witchcraft or not happening, um, and more about the the female relationships in it, which I found fascinating psychologically. I'm really interested in that that power play between women. Um, so it was that, and and other things like I grew up. So I grew up in the craft, and I grew up on things like Heather's, for example, and right. all of those nineties, eighties, nineties films that that were sort of geared towards a teen audience, but weren't um, were a little bit darker, shall we say. Now, The Graces is solidly YA. When you write, do you have a certain age bracket in mind for who your readers are going to be? Oh, I mean, no. You can't, I don't think you can write like that. First of all, and it's such a cliche to say it, but you you write for yourself. So I, I can only do that, really. I can only write what I want to read. That's essentially what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I'm getting an idea and I'm going, oh, my God, that would be so cool. Let me explore that a little bit. Um, and then you hope that other people want to read it too. But it doesn't, just because there are teenage characters in it, I guess it doesn't necessarily make it YA. But it is about very strong themes connected to that, to that time of your life, such as, you know, identity and, and, and the realization of your own power and your place in the world and all of those kinds of things and trying to basically work out who you're going to be and what is going to matter to you. That's a really interesting time to explore, which is why so many of us explore it, I guess, um, because it's real, it's really defining and, um, and radical um, in many ways. It's a, very, it's a very turbulent time in your life. So as a writer, that's real rich, rich area, you know, that you want to kind of explore. Yeah. Right. So do you think every writer, in a way, is just telling themselves a story? 
Uh, I do, yes. I wouldn't, I, you know, I'm not going to go out there and say definitively, that is what writing is and that is what writers do, but that is certainly what I do. Um, I think that a lot of writers are, we, we're writing because, and this is true of anyone who creates any kind of art, I guess, or or tells any kind of story in whatever format, you know, and if, if you're in movie making or you, you create art or photography or whatever, it's a sort of an outlet, a way to process and understand the world you're living in. Um, you know, it's a kind of filter through, a lot of writers would say they write in order to understand what it is they think about something. And you don't understand it until you've written about it, until you've explored it. Um, in a trite kind of way, you could kind of say it's, maybe it's a, type of therapy <laughs> it's a way right. of you of dealing with things of you uh, yeah of you dealing with the world um and and without that it you you kind of feel quite lost I think so that's that's just our tool that's our way of getting through things speaking yeah. of getting through things the grace is being published in multiple languages isn't it yes yes it is which is exciting and I'm assuming you don't speak all the languages it's being published in. No, I do not. So no, I don't. Does that aspect of translation make you say, you know, nervous at all? You'll never know. I mean, I would never know. I would wonder always if it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, yes, I suppose there is an element of that. I mean, most of it's just, just like flat out excitement, frankly. Oh my God, I'm being published in a completely different language. So you, you kind of, um, and those foreign editions, um, foreign languages and foreign editions, you don't actually don't have much say in them or you're not as much part of the process as you are with an English language edition. So it sort of happens and then you go, oh my God, amazing. And then there's a lot of long period of silence. I mean, the only, there was one translation that I was included in and that's only because I speak the language. So the French translation, um, they actually put um, in my contract, a kind of uh, approval clause. So they sent me the translated version of it um, to to look over, and that was the most bizarre experience <laughs> to read my book in another language. I can't. Under I, it's really weird. I don't know why particularly, but it was just really fascinating, and it was a great translation. I mean, God, I I, I might be able to speak more than one language, but I certainly don't have translation skills, which is a whole other thing entirely. Um, so. That was really, really interesting. But mostly you just kind of go, well, you know, it's, it's out of my hands and whatever they've done with it, that's totally fine. You kind of, at some point you have to, do, you have to divorce yourself from, from that because you put it out there in the world and then other people take it and do things with it. It's kind of like movie adaptations. Right. You have to, you know, you're like, well, you know, I, I chose to do that. I chose yeah. to have people take it and do something else with it. So that's, I should be fine with it. Well, to a great extent, once you've written the book and put it out there, people's imaginations are going to do what they want with it anyway. Exactly. And read a lot of stuff into it that you may or may not have, you know, in terms of what characters look like or what their motives were, all sorts of things. Yes, exactly, which is why I would never invalidate anyone else's interpretation. I mean, you can sit there and go, my God, you're absolutely incorrect. I can't stand the way that you've read this, but you can't tell them that it's invalid. You can't say, no, no, I'm sorry, my vision of the book is correct and yours is not because 
that's their version of it. You know, as a reader, they're absolutely entitled to that version of it. Whatever they make of it is whatever they make of it. So you can go out there and go, that's definitely not what I intended. But, you know, to invalidate it completely would be wrong, I think. Yeah. Now, I believe your day job is in publishing as well. Yes, it is. So what's that like? And do lines need to be drawn between, say, you know, two aspects of a dual career, as it were? Yes, they do. (laughs) So it depends. I mean, other people have done this in different ways. Um, For example, a friend of mine called Amy Allward, who um, is rather successful, YA author of a book called The Potion Diaries right now, she uh, she used to work in publishing and she was a an editor at, at Penguin and she did them both and she was um, online as both. She was very kind of upfront about that, um, which is great, I think. Um, and also another um, one that everybody kind of knows us about is David Le- Levison, for example, who is a very successful YA author and also a works for Scholastic in the US. And they do that, they balance that very well. I did not. <laughs> I said from the beginning that I was going to be, I was going to have one writer hat and one publisher hat and I would not want them to be mixed up because I felt like it kind of wasn't fair on anybody. That's just me though. Um, I didn't want to be, you know, anyone in publishing to feel like uh, I was detracting from my job in any way or I was going to, you know, uh, one over the other anyway so it's kind of a balancing it is a balancing act and sometimes they do cross over slightly uncomfortably but I'm getting used to it so it's okay it's fine I mean as long as I can do the both I will because I love my job so now in the graces the narrator is a young girl who's recently moved to this small town where the book is set Um, for a few chapters we don't know her name in fact I find it really interesting that we don't know her name at all until she names herself which yeah. she names herself River, which isn't, of course, her given name. Uh, isn't no. her birth name, I suppose, given name might be. You know, yeah. She gives herself this name. But tell me a little bit about this decision. Not naming your narrator right away is obviously, it's a very active decision for a writer to take. <laughs> That's funny because, you know, everybody has picked up on this quite strongly. And for me, it was it was not a throwaway decision. Like, you're right, it is an active decision. But I didn't, I didn't realize it would be so interesting to people. But yes, the, the reason is because, I mean, the reason, I suppose, is an obvious one. She doesn't want to be who she is. So she decides who she will be. Um, and that involves changing her name, because how, you know, what's the easiest shortcut of becoming a new person and taking on a new identity? It starts with your name. So it, that was the reason. And the other, the other thing um, that, you, that you might or might not notice is that she never describes herself either. Um, so you don't really know what she looks like and you don't know what she's called, and that's very deliberate. I kind of wanted her to be you. I wanted her to be anybody who's reading it, basically. I wanted you to be able to adopt her um, as your as your cipher. And I felt that um, that would be a lot easier if she she's sort of a blank slate. I mean, she obviously has a personality, you can feel it throughout the book, but um, it, it felt very interesting to me to kind of go, this person is is not, you know, is not anything, I'm not giving you any preconceptions about who they are, you just have to read along and see. And, and she, you know, she herself makes that decision because as you read, you get you obviously get the sense that she wants to leave who she was behind and she wants to become something else, i.e. a grace. 
um, and and so she's sort of shucking off her old life in a very deliberate, real, obvious way by taking a different name and all of that. So yeah, it was it was a conscious decision. Now I'm not gonna you know I don't want to go too far into things and give away any spoilers or anything of the sort. But no, no. writing a, an unreliable character for me is is always. I always see it as a little bit of a risk that the, the writer's taken. Especially one like River, who's, you know, she's pretty reticent. She doesn't really disclose much about herself, as you were saying. We don't even know what she really looks like. You had, of course, yeah. reasons for putting that across. But not just does she not tell the truth, but she also doesn't even tell lies, really, to fill in the gaps. Um, <laughs> which I find really interesting. And that can, that can, though, however, make her a little hard to connect with, which also is kind of the point. Because then you start to fill in the gaps. Um, yeah. as a reader so what was your process like though in trying to get to know her in creating her um yeah well she's sort of <laughs> what was her first she's sort of like me <laughs> she's one aspect there was a of me. lot of thought behind that one <laughs> word yeah well, she I, I don't want to be too like you know, you, you, the sort of you, your mind will start jumping to conclusions when I say that she's like me. But I suppose they're all they're all aspects of me. River is an aspect of me who who desperately wants to control the narrative around her and can't. So, you know, this this control is is what she is what she seeks, and therefore everything around about her is carefully controlled. She controls her image. She controls. Um, or she tries. She doesn't. She's not very successful sometimes but to control her image, to control her behavior, and, and what what other people see her as. That's what's very important to her. How other people see her, and I'm. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people are very preoccupied with this notion. Um, me, you know, not least. So, I'm very interested in that. Why we are so fascinated with carefully cultivating and shaping the way that we appear to other people um and that's always been a, a tension within me so naturally of course as a writer I just want to spill my guts out and explore that on a page so yeah that's kind of that's where she comes from really I'm I'm really interested in that that shaping of our identities that not necessarily how we feel but how we perceive others are are interpreting us and now the graces exist of course in greek mythology witchcraft too has its own sort of heritage and mythology are there any particular mythologies or belief systems that influence your writing the most not just for the graces but in general in general um i suppose you could say um which i i think is quite obvious in the graces um i have a strong streak of paganism to me so i I've always been very interested in, uh, I, I would bracket them as nature or earth religions. Um, they are very, f philosophically very interesting to me. So I grew up uh, nominally as a, as, a, as a Catholic. I was baptized and I went to a primary school run entirely by Roman Catholic nuns, which <laughs> wasn't as terrifying as people always think it is. It actually was a brilliant school. Um, and I went to mass twice a week and I was very, um, it, that was just part of my daily life. But where I grew up in Cornwall is also has a very, very pagan roots. It's, it's, it's hard to escape from down there cause it's so, um, 
beautiful a landscape and quite wild in places and it naturally draws the bohemian to it shall we say so there's a lot of artists in Cornwall a lot of that um going on um so in the 90s when I was growing up there with the whole resurgence of um what they called new age at the time sort of um hippie spiritualism quote unquote there was that that was happening um and it was it was big in Cornwall it was a it was a big thing going on so that was really fascinating to me um that you could go to uh, a, a tarot card reader reader down the street or you could go you know you could just go to like the local village hall and there would be a fair on where people were doing reiki healing and reading your colors and stuff it was just really really fascinating and um and i like although i've had always had a an a slightly uncomfortable relationship with the idea of divinity i like a lot of the philosophical the kind of straightforward um i suppose morality of pagan religions which is you know a reverence and a respect for the earth and um a kind of general um uh prevalence towards diversity and and um strangeness i guess it, it tends to attract the fringe and and doesn't care where you're from or 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 who you are or or anything like that um it's very kind of equal opportunities in that way so there's a lot about those religions that i really like and the, those mythologies that i really like and being uh british i i love sort of celtic stuff and 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 that sort of all of that stuff that kind of sits within our landscape kind of underneath the everyday i really love all of that so that kind of bleeds through a lot of my writing as well i guess now your earlier novels fear some dreamer and the sequel the illusionists what for you was the biggest change you felt as a writer between those books and now the graces you know both personally and specific to the writing itself um specific to the writing itself i guess well fears and dreamer and the illusionists were uh, are set in uh, slightly second world fantasy so they they they're a little bit more removed there's a lot more um made up world building in them although they are based um I don't want to give too much away but they're based in our world but they are they are more removed fantasy whereas the graces is now and here and and very contemporary with a kind of slight dash of fantasy if you like going underneath everything so that was different um because I was constrained with the 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 kind of setting it in a in a in a in a now setting um which i found curiously harder than the the making stuff up from scratch i don't know why and then of course the graces is as you say um unreliable narrator and first person um and that is quite different to face and dreamer so first person um i've never written in before and i only chose it i chose it very deliberately for the graces because i felt that it suited the unreliable narrator aspect of the book um but actually again it's quite restrictive um you have to find ways to tell the reader what they need to know but realistically because your character you know you can only say you need to tell people what your character knows um so you're constantly trying to find ways of 
revealing things and there are so many things that you can't say that you wish you could but your character doesn't know them or, or wouldn't say them so you are very you know it's a very narrow viewpoint and that's dangerous because some people can interpret that as um i suppose um if they don't like your main character for example I mean, there are reasons to everything that a writer does, but you, you can't control the way people feel about a voice, and the voice is very deliberately chosen. So there's there's a, there's a risk there, but I did it because I felt she was strong enough and interesting enough to do that with. Um, so that was probably the biggest difference in writing terms. Yeah. And what about yourself? Do you feel you've changed hugely? <laughs> Um, I'll put it this way. Do you feel that you're more confident as a writer to have made, you know, this kind of a risky decision as you were just talking about? I don't feel more confident, but I do, I am determined to, to push myself and take risks every time. I mean, I, the first, first dream on Eugenist, without too much of a spoiler, there's, there is a bit of, um, playing with timelines and things and within a fantasy setting and um for a debut that was possibly stupid <laughs> because it was difficult to do um and on the second book uh i realized this much to my chagrin that i had <laughs> painted myself into multiple corners that i then had to dig myself out of and but you know that was really interesting and then with this one i was like right i don't want to do the same thing again i know let's have a first person unreliable narrator in a contemporary setting and see what that does. So each time I guess I, I want to do something slightly different that tests me. And you know, they might not always be successful um, as experiments, but I would rather have a bravely failed experiment than keep on doing the same thing over and over because that to me is, I suppose, just not very interesting. Now, I know The Graces is to have a sequel. I also yeah. read uh, that it's not something you'd planned, but hey, you know, who knows where the world of publishing will take you. Uh, so <laughs> what was that like, having to come up with a sequel that you hadn't intended from the start and possibly wasn't perhaps what you were planning on writing next? Yeah, so this is a, a nice little peek into the inside world <laughs> of publishing for you. And I think, to be honest, it's the same for a lot of creative process is probably the same in movie making when you have to pitch, you know, suddenly, quickly, without really giving it much thought. I think everyone would like to think that all of our artistic creations are, you know, carefully thought out over months and years, and we've put all of this, all of ourselves into it, and it was, you know, long, long process, a journey, if you will. But uh, the truth is, what happened was, the graces went on on submission, it started sort of um, getting a lot of buzz very quickly and every, every publisher was coming back saying um, what, what's the next book because they, they tend to buy books uh, they tend to do two book contracts these days um, as a default so what happened was my agent said to me right okay so what I need you to do is um, write a pitch for a sequel to The Graces and also write a pitch for something completely different and we'll see which one they go for And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And because we were in the middle of the submissions process, everyone was, everything was moving very fast. Um, it was in the middle of a rights fair, so it was all very, ah, time-constrained and crazy. Uh, he had to have them by the next day. So I finished my work day. I went home <laughs> and basically stayed up until four in the morning 
writing a synopsis for these two books, A Grace's Sequel and Something Else, and I had given neither of them much thought, but that's what I had to do. <laughs> and then I sent them to him in the morning and he sent them off. And what happened was every single publisher said, yes, we would love A Grace's Sequel. So that's how it happened. <laughs> and then I had to take that synopsis and go, right, what did I say this would be about? Oh, yes, I remember. Oh, God. Um, so it was very off the cuff. But, you know, sometimes that produces great results. And who's to say? Um, I finished the first draft of the sequel, and I'm quite proud of it, actually. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So it might just work out all very well in the end. It might, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. All right, now I have a few really quick yeah. questions, like rapid-fire ones, but don't think too much about them. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Now, which of, the, which of the witches in the craft would you have been had you been in that world? <laughs> I would have been Nancy. <laughs> oh, you already know this. You've thought about this, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. She was the one I identified with the most. I was a dark teenager. <laughs> All right. Fancy casting for the Graces. Who plays River? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, dear Lord. Um, she... Well, she's she's a little well. Hmm. Maybe someone like uh, Dakota Fanning, or well, hmm. that's a really difficult question because I don't have her face in my head at all. Uh, sorry, I'm taking too much time. No, casting should like, be fun then. If there's if there's no face in your mind, anyone could work. Pretty much anybody could work. The only, in fact, because someone asked me this recently, and you know, I should have given more thought to it, but um, the only one I could definitively cast was Wolf and that was because he to me he kind of looked like um oh god I can't remember the actor's name but he was in We Need to Talk About Kevin and he was in um he played, he played Kevin and We Need to Talk About Kevin yes and he's yeah he's, he's, I know who you mean I don't know his name new, either the new The Flash I think in the Marvel Universe or something uh my god I can't remember his name and I love him anyway he's fantastic and he he just has that kind of mm, moody something or something about him. But yeah, for River God, I don't know. It could be, it really could be anybody um, from anywhere. I think that's the kind of beauty of her. Okay, one book everyone in the world should read other than your own. Ha! Huh. Um, I, can I, can I say a book that isn't out yet? <laughs> sure. We eventually we'll get to it, right? Because if you ask me to name a book that that is out, I mean, I couldn't possibly. It's like Sophie's Choice. So let's say I would like to, I would like to, basically anything by Daniel Polanski. Just because um, he is a criminally underrated writer, a fantasy writer. He writes kind of an amazing mix of fantasy and noir and he is incredible. And he has a new book coming out. I think it's called A City Dreaming yeah, in October. Yeah, it is. Yes. And I've got um, a proof copy, an arc, that I cannot wait to get to because I love his books. The first one I ever read of his was his debut, um, The Straight Razor Cure, and it blew me away. So uh, that's who I would pick right now. He's also very funny in real life. So. He's very funny. Um, I... Spoiler, we are friendly. So oh. <laughs> no, He's been on the podcast. I greatly enjoyed his company, actually. It's lots of fun. He's such a nice guy. Um, and, and kind of, the, you can hear 
his voice and his writing, he's very kind of caustic and hilarious and yeah. intelligent. So, yeah, yeah. All right, one writer um, whom you've learned the most from and one you wished you'd never read. Ah, wow. Um, okay. I won't tell them, it's fine. <laughs> one I've learned the most from. I think that would be a toss-up between Alan Garner and Stephen King, mostly because I read them at a young age and they have probably formed me in ways I'm still discovering. Um, but there's certainly some, some uh, narrative tricks and, um, and ways of storytelling that I definitely learned from Stephen King. That the guy has really shaped my writing, I would say. Not, I mean, you can't, it's not in an obvious way. It's not like I sit out and write clown horror, but you know, there are some things, certain ways. He was always very, his inner narrative voice of his characters, yes, very much so. And Alan Garner, um, I would never, never sit here and say that I'm in any way as good as the godlike Alan Garner, but he definitely influenced me and and the way that I, I I want to tell stories is magnificent so those two well frankly no one should be writing a uh, clown horror after speaking <laughs> no one let's never go there again well it's an incredible book it's but I did I did have a proper proper problem with crown clowns for yeah. quite a number of years after I read that book so thank you Stephen King um, who's the one writer you wish you'd never read complete waste of time or one book let's put it that way oh god that's awful um i can think of a whole string that i wish i hadn't bothered with <laughs> maybe i'm just a horrible person but come on there must be one um it's just what if you ever meet them and oh god how awful okay uh let's think pick about a dead this. one if it pick feels if it feels safer um I, mean, I put all the russians on that list <laughs> all the classic russians Classic Russians, nice. Um, I am going to say Thomas Hardy then. That's good, well, he's a good choice. I'm putting him on the list too. Be a safe, safe choice. Thomas Hardy, just because. To be honest, unfortunately, he was a little bit um, wrecked for me because it's one of those we studied. We studied him in school, and he just. The man is so depressing. Right, I can't, he is. Is it Madding Crow that really gets to you? Which one? It's All of them. Be obscure. Oh, and Tessa's to be honest. Both of them are just like, Jesus Christ, Thomas. A little bit of hope, please, would be great. Because yeah. I want to carry on living after I've read this book. There is no so relief in his books. You're absolutely right. No relief. That's the problem. Um, I mean, they are extraordinary books. And I have to hold my hand up and say, I'm not, you know, I, I write dark stuff. I'm not the most hopeful person in the world. But... There's got to be something. There's got to be a little kernel there at the end. And his is just, no, no kernels for you. We all just die. Everyone dies. And, and like, in, the right. most, in the most sort of, with, with no humor ever no, at all. It's just, it's just. Not a, even gallows humor. There's nothing. You're right. No, miserable crawl towards oblivion. Yes. I moved him up above the Russians now after this conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> there you go. All right, last couple of songs. Favorite 90s, uh, sorry, last couple of questions, excuse me. Favorite 90s song. Favorite 90s song. Whew. Dude, that's impossible. Um, I'm, okay, I'm a bit of an alternative girl. Um, so I'm going to say 
Wood by Alice in Chains. I love that song. Oh, Alice in Chains. It's my favorite, but that's my favorite Alice in Chains song. It has to be. I mean, it's classic. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Sure. All right, so favorite bad 90s song. You know the one, the one really, really bad one that your in-brain radio can't stop playing for days on end, but you know it's terrible and you're embarrassed to say it? <laughs> Do you know what? I am proud of my terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> taste in songs and movies. I am actually really proud. So one of the, this is a segue, but one of the things that I uh, say all the time loudly and proudly is one of my favorite films of all time is Street Fighter because <laughs> it's, so outlandishly bad that it ascends to a kind of triumph of a film. And that's what I love about real trash, you know, if it's really just gloriously bad. So Street Fighter is genuinely one of my favourite films of all time. In that vein, I would say either... I So, again, the influence of early 90s, uh, it was all about the dance music at the time. That's when I was right. a kid, so all I heard. So I love terrible, terrible dance music. So, for example, uh, Rhythm of the Night by Corona. Right. If you say that to me, I will dance to it, and I'll do it sober. I'll do it, because it's amazing, that track. So there you go, that one. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>